You are listening to KC Sports Network, proudly presented by Emprise Bank. Coming up, the latest episode of Three Mall. All right, all right, welcome to another Three Mall Pod. I am your host today, Cole Manbeck, joined as always by publisher and editor at K-State Online on the On3 Network, Derek Young, and we are here to talk some more K-State basketball as the Wildcats take on Cincinnati on the road on Saturday with, I, I believe that's a 6 p.m. tip, right, D.Y.? So uh, you're, you're going, you're making the trip. Making the trip to Fifth Third Arena. It's a 6 o'clock game. I will say, I play on making the trip. We've applied for credentials, still haven't heard back, so... I might I might have to check on that. It's already Thursday. Have you been to a you're an Ohio guy? Have you been to games at Cincinnati at that current arena before? Is it the same one as it was like in the early 2000s? <laughs> I, I I assume so. I prefaced it that way because I thought you might know, but uh, I, I, I the last Cincinnati Bearcats basketball game home game that I went to, Bob Huggins was still the coach because when I grew up, Bob Huggins was the coach in Cincinnati, and they were awesome. I wouldn't watch Kenyon Martin play. Yeah, we actually uh, old memory. We had a, a a TV wheeled into the room at uh, grade. I was in grade school when Kenyon Martin was playing DY, and uh, his knee injury occurred. They had the the TV on when he uh, he suffered that knee injury. So yeah, I remember that. Trying to think of some other guys that I remember going to watch for those Cincinnati teams. I think they had guy what Steve Logan, a really good guard that could shoot the lights out as well. Um, uh, they had more than those two. I don't know why I'm blanking on anyone else. Uh, also, around the same time period that I, you know, a few years after, obviously, probably five years after or so, but that's when uh, a, a high school in Cincinnati called North College Hill at OJ Mayo and Bill Walker. Yeah. Remember those days. K-State fans will remember them very fondly as well. I was constantly checking the recruiting rankings and recruiting updates uh you know, with all of the the hype going around with K-State recruiting top 10, top 15 talent. We played against them. It didn't go well, but we didn't. <laughs> no, no surprise. Uh, anyways, uh, as always, uh, forgot to, to shout out our guys at the Holiday Distillery. Uh, go get stocked up on your Ben Holiday bottled in Bond bourbon for the weekend and uh, for March Madness. As it is just right around the corner, you got the NCAA tournament. Some of you might want to take some PTO. Get some Ben Holiday Bottled and Bond Bourbon or 360 Vodka. Make a few drinks. Enjoy some NCAA tournament action. Uh, if you're a K-State fan, you're hoping the Wildcats are in the field and you might need that as uh, they tip off with the nerves of uh, win or go home in the NCAA tournament. But I think we'll all be thrilled if the Wildcats are dancing in March. So a large part of that's going to be what happens on the court on Saturday in Cincinnati. D-Y is the Wildcats look to get to back to 500 in league play. They sit at 7-8. and eight. In the Big 12 standings, they're tied for eighth right now with Texas and Oklahoma. Oklahoma fell by 13 in Ames last night to Iowa State. Texas pulled off a, you know, they were four-point dogs, and they just destroyed Texas and Lubbock in front of a a raucous crowd on Tuesday night. Uh, So Texas now is also tied with the Wildcats, seven and eight in the league standings. BYU won at Kansas. It's been a wacky week. We thought BYU would probably lose that game and be tied in a four-way tie with Kansas State for seventh in the league. Uh, but the Wildcats sit tied for eighth. Uh, they currently wouldn't play on the the first opening round of Tuesday of the Big 12 tournament as things sit today. Uh, and, uh, you know, this is a game 
not so much just for the Big 12 standings, but for the NCAA tournament resume, D.Y., because Cincinnati is 45th in the net. You have to be a top 75 team in the net to be a, a quad one victory when playing on the road. Obviously, this would be easily a quad one win for the Wildcats if they were to pull it off. It would give K-State their fourth quad one win and their eighth quad one and quad two win combined as they try to stack <clears throat> some of those higher end wins for their NCAA tournament profile. Just what's the significance of this game in your eyes? It's almost just like about every game left, right? Feels must win territory. Now you you could you could survive if you you lose at Cincinnati but win at Kansas. Uh, but I think you want to be realistic, right? In terms of uh, which one is more doable, I you would you would think that winning at Cincinnati is much more doable than winning at KU. So that that's where my head goes. So it feels like it's tough to find an NCAA tournament path without winning at Cincinnati. Because do you really want to have your backs against the wall and be in a must-win spot when you have to play Kansas at Allen Fieldhouse, despite losing to BYU at home? I mean, they don't lose at home. And certainly they're not going to want to lose that game at home because they did just lose to BYU at home, Kevin McCullough or not, that's a, that's a tough tough task, a tough ask. So, important significance. It, it, it's going to be hard for Kansas State to make the field of sixty eight without a win at Cincinnati. Well, we could have Nick, uh, our producer, who's a, a KU guy. He could maybe track down or has the numbers on. Um... The last time KU's lost back-to-back home games in Allen Fieldhouse, which is what it would take for Kansas State to win. And also, maybe Nick, while you're at it in the research department over there, the last time KU lost on senior night at home. Feels like they win that game every single year uh, in hand. And you'll know this one when's the last time they lost a home to K-State in general, right? Uh, that would be the uh, the Draman Diara, Clint Stewart, Jim Wolders team and back in uh, the 05-06 season because I was uh, watching it in Goodnow Hall in my dorm. Uh, when that occurred, and man, was that quite the the shock! I was a freshman at Kansas State, so it was, yeah. Uh, yeah so, winning at Kansas would be bucking some unreal trends that have kind of uh, went on. It would have to happen for Kansas State to win that game. So, yeah. like I said, like this one just seems like you have a lot of weight off your shoulders and you're playing with a little bit of house money when you play at Kansas if you were able to take down Cincinnati uh, into third arena. Yeah, absolutely. It, it gives you, you know, I don't want to say like margin for error, but you, you I, need... I, 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 on the road, maybe. Because, but if you lose at Kansas, then then you're back to no margin for error and you got to beat Iowa State at home. <laughs> I think... So tell me what you think of this. And we'll dive into the specifics of the Cincinnati matchup here in a moment. But let's just set the stage for for this game and what it means for the Wildcats. So I think if K-State goes three and two the remainder of the season, they're they're guaranteed they're guaranteed four more games as of today, right? And I'm saying if they win a game in Kansas City and then they they lose in their second game in KC, right? They go three and two, I think they're in the NCAA tournament for sure. I Three, three, and two. Um, that puts him at twenty, and uh, so that's that set. That, yeah, you're probably right. Because um, that's three more. They have three quad one wins as, today. Dy six. 
Yeah, as long as that uh, third win is not on Tuesday, because I don't think you get a quad one win on Tuesday. Is right. Like you're, yeah, so you, it, I like I doubt Kansas State's, Kansas State's probably not on Tuesday if they win two of their final three, so that you, that, you know. That's right. There's null and void probably. That's- but I just wanted to identify and make that clear. Like if you went on Tuesday, it doesn't really do you any good. Right. No, that's absolutely right. I mean, they would, it would just be a don't hurt yourself game, you know, because all you could do is hurt yourself in that one. Now, it might be a quad two win, which isn't the worst thing in the world if you played on Tuesday. But look, if you're playing on Tuesday, that means you probably dropped at least two of these final three games, uh, potentially all three to play on Tuesday night at this point. So uh, I'm just going to pull up the league standings once again, because UCF is actually close to K-State. UCF won at Oklahoma State last night. UCF's in 11. K-State is in that tie for eighth, but UCF is six and nine. Um, K-State seven and eight. And then I'm looking at... I've got if K-State goes two and one, they're not playing on Tuesday. Yeah. And you look at... So UCF is the team with the biggest threat to uh, to catch K-State at this point. I guess you could argue if Cincinnati beat K-State, they'd be close to. But UCF closes the season with home games against Iowa State, Houston, and then goes to TCU. So they're they're going to have to really fight and claw to to get a win or two down the stretch. Uh, if you play on Wednesday night, that's, that's good. Oh, go ahead. You kind of spelled it out, to be honest, because you really don't want to have to play on Tuesday. If you're Kansas State, just get out of that whole thing in general, because, like you said, it's not, it can't it can't help you, but it has the potential to hurt you because you could be playing number fourteen, which might not be even quad two, because what if you're eleven, and you kind of spelled it out there. Like I get that you only need to get one of these two road games probably, as long as you beat Iowa State at home and and maybe get a win in Kansas City, but. Beating Cincinnati can almost ensure you don't have to play on Tuesday. Yeah. Yeah, it would. Yeah, it'd pretty much lock you out of that. And then if you played on Wednesday, that matchup is going to be a quad one because you're looking at yeah. teams like Oklahoma on a neutral yeah. court. And I like I, I know that there's a few quad one teams that you could play on Wednesday that, that <laughs> makes you feel okay. Like I, I know folks have mentioned TCU. Even Cincinnati, if you can finally find some way to get that, but it's probably not doable for Kansas State at this point. But like, I remember a few a handful of days ago when the Big Twelve puts out if the season ended today, this is the bracket, and Kansas State's Wednesday matchup was Oklahoma, and I would love that. Yeah, I'd like that. I also think so. Oklahoma's forty-two in the net; they got to stay top fifty to be quad one on the neutral court. But I also think DY playing BYU would be really enticing because. The metrics love them so much. They are 10th in the net currently. So if you beat BYU on a neutral court, that would re- that would lift your resume even higher, give you another much higher profile quad one um, that would really help K-State, I would think. But it'd be a hard game. Obviously, BYU can get get hot. Uh, we saw what they were able to do at Kansas. And, um, and Although, they- you know, that game notwithstanding, BYU's been pretty rough away from the Miracles. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. So, you know, I, I say three and two down the stretch. I think they're in the, it's in the in the CAA tournament. Now, if they go two and one down in these last three regular season games, that means they probably win at Cincinnati Saturday and they win against Iowa State. That gives them five quad one wins. And then they have nine quad one and quad two wins combined. 
then it just they're, they're, if they lose in the opening round they play in the Big 12 tournament they're going to be sitting there on the edge just you know it's going to be a coin flip Good, ch- they'd be at best probably in the play-in game in Dayton uh, if they got in yeah, but, they're, uh, they're, yeah even winning two of the final three and losing on Wednesday in Kansas City without playing on Tuesday even then they got a little bit of a theory where you can kind of squint and see it because some of these other, because that would still include two more quad one wins, obviously, is what we're talking about here. And that would give K, K-State five quad one wins in general, with three of them being very, very high of Kansas, Baylor, and BYU. Because sometimes sometimes they look at it as a quad one A, quad one B, yeah. and you split that in half. And, and you know, their quad one wins are actually in the, in the top half. So they'll still be right there because the teams that they're battling with on the bubble for the most part just don't have the opportunity still in front of them that Kansas State does. Like, they have a harder time unless they really go and make deep, deep conference tournament runs to where they're playing really good quad one games and winning those. They just don't have the the chances that Kansas State does. Like, Kansas State's, I guess what I'm trying to say is Kansas State's room for growth is much more significant than nearly every other bubble team facing the same task. And and if you're Kansas State, that's what you have in your favor. And that's why you see Joe Lenardi's of the world, Jerry Palms of the world, putting Kansas State squarely on the bubble now, that next four out, probably because they realize how much more damage that they can do, how much more that they can grow. Um, it'll be interesting because, I mean, I've, I've said this for a while now, I think almost a week or two ago, and it's still is uh, still true to this day, is Oklahoma, right? That's going to be an interesting case study because their metrics are amazing. But in general, in terms of what they've actually done, is pretty minimal. Yes, they sit there at 7 and 8 in the Big 12, just like A-State, but they've actually have not had the, the impressive wins that Kansas State has had. They haven't beat three top 10, three top 15 teams, right? So that's what's interesting to me is how the committee will treat Oklahoma when they're all metrics and no real bang to the buck there. I looked at it since January 6th. We're talking almost two months. Oklahoma has only defeated one surefire NCAA tournament team. Well, you know, the metrics are all very interesting. And you look at the net because you look at a Wake Forest, right? They're 27th in the net but they have one quad one win. Uh, you look at Gonzaga. That Gonzaga is currently, you know, a lot of people have them as like one of the last teams in. Gonzaga is 21 in the net, but they've won one quad one win, and they have three quad one and quad two games combined. It's, uh, and yet K-State sits here at 73rd in the net. They're going to have to move up in their profile to get in, but I think if they're in the mid-60s, they'll get in, you know, potentially with that profile as long as they rack up the quad ones, which they do, their net profile ranking will increase uh, on the flip side the big 12 does and people are right to call out the big 12 a little bit for manipulating it the big 12 is the best conference still in my opinion but they have some teams that are fraudulently up higher in the net which helps with the quad one stuff quad two stuff as well and that's fair to point out by the people that are doing it i gotta say i'm uh so, so your point that you made we'll go to a break here in just a moment but uh 
to your point that you made about opportunities in the Big 12 to win quad ones and other teams not having it, I was listening to a bracketology episode on Field of 68 last night before I went to bed, and the guy on there was talking about St. John's, and he said, well, St. John's needs more high-end wins, but their last two games are against DePaul and Georgetown. So those are some of the worst teams in the country, worst power sixes, and so they're not going to get anything out of that other than if you blow them out, you can potentially move up some in the metrics. Although I will say, St. John's wasn't even close to making the field in Lenardi's projection as of yesterday. They were like the 12th team out. But I just checked. I mean, they got nine quad one and quad twos. So it's a bit surprising to me, to be honest. They're 17 and 12 overall. We don't we don't have to dive into team by team breakdown. Uh, we'll go to break first to tell you about our friends at Home Field Apparel. We'll come back and do some more uh, bracketology talk and break down Cincinnati on Saturday. But as always, uh, you got to get stocked up on your Home Field Apparel gear. Uh, home Field, great friends and supporters of the show and uh, great supporters of Kansas State. They've got over 40 K-State items on their website. Go check them out. K-State lavender bomber jacket, hoodies, uh, you know, retro t-shirts, you name it. They've they've got it. Tons of cool designs and logos on their shirts and uh, gear. It's super comfortable and soft. Very comfortable. I've said it before. Some of their hoodies are some of the most comfortable that I have. Uh, Love them. Get stocked up uh, for the NCAA tournament here in March Madness and uh, for football season that's going to be just around the corner. Before you know it, so go to homefieldapparel.com, score 15% off on checkout with the discount code 3MAW23. We'll be back to talk K-State hoops and uh, a little more bracketology and uh, the Cincinnati game on Saturday when we come back from break. We appreciate you supporting KC Sports Network by listening to our podcast. You have helped us become the highest ranked Chiefs podcast network in 2022 and 2023. And don't forget about our daily Substack newsletter, the best written analysis you can find on the Chiefs straight to your inbox every day. KCSN.substack.com. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash blue wire. 
No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, uh, Nick Springer Research Department has come through and uh, says it looks like the last time KU lost back-to-back home games was 1989. So, yeah, uh, that's the year I was born. (laughs) Uh, So that isn't exactly the most promising thing in the world. Uh, Thanks to Nick for uh, for pulling that for us. So, um, all right, so just a little bit more discussion, D.Y. I saw last night, and look, there's a lot of different projections out there. I don't think Lenardi is the only show in town anymore. There's plenty of guys that have lots of great thoughts on bracketology, but he had K-State in a graphic he tweeted out around 8 p.m. last night on Wednesday night as the eighth team out of the field. However, three of the teams in front of them that were in the last four or first four out and next four out lost last night. Texas A&M lost their fifth in a row. They lost at home against South Carolina in a game that they really needed to have. Butler got their doors blown off by Creighton, I believe. Let's see. Uh, or no, Creighton, St. John's. I'm just going to pull up the Big East real quick and make sure I get the scores right because there were a couple of big ones. St. John's won at Butler 82-59 to last night. That's going to be really harmful to Butler, who was in front of K-State, just in front. And uh, Creighton defeated Seton Hall by 21. And Seton Hall was another team just in front of K-State. In Lenardi's projection, uh, Virginia squeaked out a win. They're a bubble team. They squeaked out a win at Boston College. So K-State will probably be like the fifth or the sixth team out when you look at Lenardi's, um, you know, updated projections coming out in the next uh, 12 hours. By the time you're listening to it, you may have already seen it. Colorado won against Cal last night. That's a bubble team. Uh, just looking at uh, Wichita State, man, huge win against 18-9 UAB. Uh, helping K-State's profile. They get their 12th win of the year as they've really struggled. So, you know, Ole Miss. Ole Miss lost by 15 against Alabama at home, and Ole Miss is another bubble team. Uh, so, well, Nick Nick says KU actually lost three in a row in 1989 at home. So, just, uh, what is that, 33, 34 years ago? So, yeah. 34. Yeah. So, I- anyways, we wanted to set the stage. 34. 35. Yeah. 35. I'll be 35 in May. So, uh, yeah, we wanted to set the stage for you for just the significance of this game and really the last 10 days of the season. If K-State wins at Cincinnati, they lose to KU and then they beat Iowa State at home again. It's going to be very hard to do. But if they did that as the regular season concluded, they're probably sitting as like one of the last teams in. But then then you have to rely on what happens around you. Bid stealers you know, from other leagues that already are going to have a team make it as an at-large and then somebody steals a bid that's not going to get in, that's where you then have to worry. So that's why it'd be best interest of Kansas State to, to take care of some business in Kansas City as well if they're able to go 2-1 and one down the stretch here and get to 9-9 nine and nine in the Big 12. 
All right. So all that being said, let's talk Cincinnati. Uh, D.Y. Cincinnati's a team that's two and five at home. They're five and ten in the Big Twelve. But I mentioned earlier the metrics like them. They're forty fifth in the net. Uh, they're sixteen and twelve overall. They gave Houston a bit of a fight on the road in Houston on Tuesday night. It looked at one point like Houston was really going to pull away. They got up by 16 or 17 in the second half, but Cincinnati clawed back, made it a six-point game late. Uh, They lose by eight, 67 to 59, but I believe that's the closest any team had played Houston at home all season. They had beaten every team, I believe, by 15 or more on the entire season. I'm pulling up their profile real quick to make sure. Actually, so I, I said that Iowa State just the week prior lost by eight to Houston. Uh, so Houston and or Iowa State and Cincinnati are the two that have played them the closest in Houston this year. So you know, impressive that they were able to do that. They hung with KU and Allen Fieldhouse. They lost by five or six there. Uh, they went on the road and won at BYU. They went on the road and won at Texas Tech. They won at UCF, who's been really hard to beat actually at home. Uh, so they've been there in some close call situations with some really good teams, but they're two and five at home and to me this this feels like a team a, a matchup of two teams that are kind of similar in a lot of ways in terms of it's going to be a grind it out knock it out good defensive game not great offensive play from either side what, what do you make of this matchup i agree uh both teams are equipped that they have to be rugged to be effective and successful this year that's where and Cincinnati's kind of had that rugged theme, style, reputation since Wes Miller's been there. They're tough. Uh, they're a tough team, kind of gritty, uh, working on the talent acquisition and improving the roster. And that department, not quite there yet. Do have some nice pieces still. But two teams, you know, that Houston game notwithstanding, Two teams, in my opinion, kind of trending in two different directions. Um, again, that Houston game notwithstanding for Cincinnati, a little bit in freefall mode compared to what they were at one time in the Big 12. Not it. They're still competitive and fighting, but they're not getting some of the same results that they were earlier in conference action. Now, for Kansas State, the second half against West Virginia notwithstanding, I feel like they're they're starting to play a little bit. They're more consistently strong brand of basketball than what you know they had been doing in the stretch where they lost seven of eight games. So I know you have to squint a little bit and you have to take out a half here for Kansas State and maybe a game or a half here for Cincinnati, but it just feels like two teams trending in opposite directions. Oh, to that point, Cincinnati's lost five of their last six games. You have to wonder where they're, they they fought against Houston, but I wonder where their mindset is is now that they're five and ten in the league. I mean, it's hard for them to get it. But I I just uh, the way the DNA of in the fabric of what West Miller has there, I I just the 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 I don't think that part is ever going to disappear. I think that's kind of been ingrained into what they do. Yeah, I don't think they check out. Okay. Yeah, um, I'm looking at, at Cincinnati's. So they are, um, you know, at one point they were thought to be right on the edge of making the NCAA tournament. Yeah. They're not, they're th- they're three and eight in quad ones and two and two in quad two. A week and a half ago, I think they were on the first four out. So yeah. 
It wasn't that long ago. Yeah. Um, I'm just looking, you know, K-State, obviously, I mentioned earlier, K-State's three and five in quad one games and four and five in quad twos. They have one quad three loss, and I have any quad fours. Now, what I will say, D.Y., USC is 102 in the net. Uh, they got Isaiah Collier back. They're playing a little bit better. And the USC was a neutral court game. So if USC gets into the top 100 of the net, that quad three loss goes away in case they won't have a quad three or quad four loss. Now that is assuming Miami doesn't completely tank down the stretch because they sit at around 90 in the net. That was a neutral court loss. They can't fall below 100 either. And and at this point, consider what's happened the last week. I don't think Providence and Villanova just get a lot an, enough left there to, to get where they need to go to creep up into the quad one territory. It got close a few times, tiered a few times. I would be surprised if those both didn't stay quad two. It'd be night. Look, A-State were to luck out and one of those just get absolutely hot and somehow become a quad one win. And um, kids state that that market for error decreases even more, right? But, uh, or increases, I guess I should say. But uh, I don't think it's going to happen. But if it did, I mean, Kansas State, it's hard to keep out if they do what they need to do. Well, I I will say, D.Y., that there's a very good chance, actually, Villanova could make it into quad one status. So Villanova, as of today, is 32 in the net. They got to make it to the top 30. So they blew out Georgetown earlier this week, and that led to them jumping from 38 to 34 in the net. They moved up two more spots last night for whatever reason. I don't know what it was, teams in front of them losing. They're at 32. They got to make it 30 or better to be quad one. Now Villanova... Well, then then it's funny because then you got to root for Villanova on Saturday at Providence. Which I would do if I'm if I'm a K State fan. It's it's also better. You don't want both of those teams making the tournament at this point because they're both bubble teams. You don't want them stealing a spot from K State. Yeah, no, 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 and that's true. And 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 Providence, put it this way, Providence can't do enough to get into quad one because even if they did beat Villanova, I would at Georgetown does them nothing, and they're probably not going to beat. That's the thing with them. They're at 56 of the net. They got to make it in the top 50. And the only way they do that is if they, they have to blow the doors off of Villanova, probably blow out Georgetown. I don't think they have to blow the doors off of Villanova. They probably have to be UConn. Well, that that's probably the case. Or they got to go on a run in the Big East tournament. It's more unlikely for Providence. But if Villanova wins at Providence, a road game against a team in the top 60 in the net will probably t- take them to the top 30. And then you look at Villanova, D.Y., they play at Seton Hall which would be another quad one win for them. And then they got Creighton at home, which is, I think, a coin flip type game. Now, they beat Creighton at home, who's really loved in the metrics. I think Creight- I-, I think Villanova could get into the top 30. I don't think it's realistic that you're going to get... Providence loses to Villanova but beats UConn? Does that make them... <laughs> Man, I-, I don't know. that that it's uh, They played UConn. I watched that game. Providence played UConn really well earlier this year at UConn. Yeah, they were they were within four or five in the last couple of minutes of that game. Now Providence got blown out at Marquette last night, and I was surprised that Providence didn't drop more in the net because they lost by twenty two, but they only fell two spots after getting blown out by Marquette. I lied to you guys because I said we were going to talk Cincinnati breakdown, but I, I had to jump back into a little more bracketology discussion there. Uh, no, I, well, I think that's more relevant now. I mean, I don't know. Like, I get it, but I don't know that like talking about the ins and outs of Cincinnati is all that much interesting anyway. I mean, tough game, you got to win it. But I don't know that – I know they have Aziz Bandeogo or whatever, the transfer that's real, that can be maybe a tough matchup for K-State. And 
and why and add that to you know with his style does maybe McNair becomes more valuable on the floor in that vein too you, you never know it could unfold that way bracketology another bracketology insert here is you know Kansas State sits on the next four out according to Lenardi as of like 10 hours ago I believe some of those teams lose right we find out that that are on that bubble with them so I don't know if that's been incorporated yet probably hasn't so yeah. maybe they're not the 18 mile maybe they're seventh or sixth uh just even a road win at Cincinnati could be enough to get K-State in the first four out yeah I mean you you keep winning games other teams lose in front of you you know you just keep moving on up and yeah and uh, and I, I will say like losses at this point unless you're getting like a quad three quad four loss losses because there's so much of a sample size already baked in everyone's played 28 29 games unless it's like a bad loss in the quad three or quad four category losses don't really bump you down you're just not really improving your resume yeah and i mean k-state's not going to have an opportunity for a quad three or quad four loss at this point that every game that they play the rest of the season will be quad one or quad twos might not have a quad two loss no no because they may and they may only play exclusively quad one games including in the Big 12 tournament. One other thing, as I get choked up talking about the uh, the NCAA tournament here, one other one other thing, DUI, real quick. I will say um, this is a long shot, but, you know, quad two wins matter, too, in the profile. And West Virginia is 144th in the net. They got to make it into the top 135 for that road win, and Morgantown, the K-State, had to be a quad two. Now, they have a couple of home games against teams that they'll be underdogs against, but if they were to upset a team or two, they would probably get in the 135 and give K-State a quad two victory. So I, uh, it's unlikely, but I mentioned that as uh, something to keep an eye on. They're at home on Saturday, and uh, I can't remember if it's Texas Tech or TCU, but uh, it's a game that I think they could they could compete. They beat Texas and KU in Morgantown, so and obviously came all the way back against K-State. Uh, well, yeah, I'm not going to go into like a ton of details, DUI on Cincinnati. I do have a breakout of them. I think the biggest key in this game is rebounding. Cincinnati's strength is rebounding the basketball. They're a large team. You mentioned Bandago. First of all, note not many teams benefited more from the two-time transfer rule being changed midseason than Cincinnati because they got Bandago back. He's a two-time transfer from Utah Valley. I watched him in the NIT last year. I never watched Utah Valley play basketball. And uh, he was great. He averaged almost 12 points and 10 rebounds per game last year. Fran Fraschilla, I remember calling it, he was calling a game that Utah Valley was playing in the NIT. And he was talking about Bandago being an NBA player. Uh, so Bandago is a six foot 11, uh, big for them. Actually, I think he's seven feet tall. Uh, he's really athletic. Then they have Victor Lock- Lockin. Um, who's another six foot eleven center that uh, is a proven player. He's been there three years. They've got uh, Jamel Reynolds. He's a guy that also got eligible midseason through the two time transfer rule. He's a guy that tra- transferred from Temple last year. He averaged over ten points per game at Temple. He's another six foot eleven big. Uh, and then Seamus Lukosius is a six foot eight small forward wing. He's their best three point shooter, thirty five percent from three. He came from Butler, where he averaged nearly twelve points per game last year um so and then john newman a six foot five veteran guard actually sixth year college basketball player spent his first three years at clemson now in his third year at cincinnati he's six foot five guard averages nine points per game shoots 50 percent from the floor 
also 35% from three, but only 63-point attempts on the season. So rebounding is going to be big because this is a Cincinnati team that is number eight nationally in offensive rebounding percentage at 38%. Uh, They are uh, top 25 in defensive rebounding percentage as well. They out-rebounded Houston Tuesday, 42-30 to on the glass. They had 15 offensive rebounds. They had an offensive rebounding percentage of 44% against the Cougars. It was the second highest O rebounding rate that Houston's allowed on the entire season. And they've had an offensive rebounding percentage of 40% or higher in seven of their last eight games. And I mention all of that because K-State is 294th in the country in defensive rebounding percentage at 31.6%. So, BY, I think K-State pounding the glass is going to be huge in this game because it is a Cincinnati offense. It's 83rd in the country in Ken Palm. They've been held below one point per possession in six of their last 10 games. It's it's an offense that has certainly struggled. They don't they don't shoot the ball well from three. They are uh, 215th in effective field goal percentage offensively. They're 303rd nationally in free throw percentage at 68.5%. They're 237th at three-point percentage at 32.6%. So I expect this to be a defensive-minded game, and you just got to limit second-chance points for the, for the Bearcats. I agree with that. And, you know, if you're going to kind of get into the weeds of what works for K-State and what doesn't as well, then you have to understand that Jerome you know, Singh was probably correct in, in the last press conference before – they played both BYU and I'm blanking here, West Virginia. And so, you know, we just gotta knock get knock down some shots and get to the free throw line. Well, they won those areas against BYU and West Virginia. So I think he's pretty smart. Now West Virginia came back and from down twenty five because they closed the gap on both of those and hit the boards in the second half on the offensive end. So to your point, rebounding also matters. Everything matters. All these games are going to be close. So everything does matter, but the recipe is pretty clear. Um, shooting, obviously, it's a make or miss game. It's basketball and free throw rate are going to be pretty critical for K State specifically, and especially the three point line where K State's coming alive a little bit in that department. Um, Tyler Perry's been shooting a lot better from there, and kind of getting from him in that phase which you thought you might get all year and I think that's pretty significant as you laid out that Cincinnati's not the greatest three-point shooting team anyway uh, both of these next two road games that Kansas State has played um, are games where they could have a significant advantage at the three-point line yeah yeah I mean well technically Cincinnati still shoots it better than K-State from three on the season but I think K-State to your point they can get uh, drawn up maybe the last five or six games. I don't know if that's the case. Yeah, K State has proven they can get really hot in games and uh, shoot it well. And we we all know Tyler Perry's really come on. Mentioned it on the last show, but twenty six to seventy for three in his last eight games. You know, it's thirty seven percent. I think anybody would take that over the course of the season if he continued to shoot at a thirty seven percent clip from beyond the arc. A uh, couple other numbers on Cincinnati. They're 250th in three-point rate, so they clearly recognize they're not a good three-point shooting team. 35% of their shots come from three, so they're going to pound it inside. They're going to try to go to the rim. Uh, 188th in adjusted tempo. K-State's 270th in temp- or 207th in tempo, so very similar pace that both teams play. Um, possessions are going to be probably around 67, 68 possessions per game. And like if you go up and down their roster, their leading scorer is Dan Skellings, who's a six foot six sophomore wing at under twelve points per game. Also second in rebounding at six point four boards per game, but he's under thirty one percent from three. Day Day Thomas, their second leading scorer, is twenty four percent from three. He's a, a six foot junior guard. Lacocious, I mentioned earlier, 
career 35% three-point shooter, shooting just under 37% from beyond the arc this year. Victor Locken is a guy that uh, has been around the program for a while. I actually remember watching him at T-Mobile Center in the, uh, the uh, Hall of Fame Classic that K-State was in with Arkansas, Illinois, and Cincinnati a few years ago. He was part of that team. He's averaging 10 points per game, six foot eleven junior, 6.3 rebounds on 53, 50% shooting. He had 11 points on five to six shooting and nine rebounds against Houston Tuesday. And the reason I mention that is because he's been a big part of this Cincinnati team for several years. But at the start of Big 12 play, Locken was leading Cincinnati in scoring. He'd been in a huge slump. In his previous seven games before Tuesday at Houston, he was five of 31 from the floor and only averaging just under three points per game. His minutes had been significantly cut. He was a low of 11 from three. He, uh, he may have come out of his slump the other night against uh, against Houston. Uh, in Cincinnati, they had a turnover rate of nearly 25% and an 18-point loss at TCU last Saturday and a turnover rate of nearly 30% against Houston uh, in the following game on Tuesday. So I think you can turn these guys over. Uh, and I mentioned earlier, they're, they're a solid defensive team. They're 24th in Ken Palm defense at under point nine seven per second. I will say Kent State doesn't really turn teams over a whole lot, though. Well, that's, that's actually one of the biggest, like, you know, West Virginia had an under 5%, what was it, 5 7% turnover rate. It was the lowest K-State forced on the season uh, yeah. in a game. K-State, K-State plays great. They guard. Um, and great first shot defense. Deep, but teams get second and third shots, and teams don't often turn it over. And it is where it is. And I think the, probably the guy probably is the best at those takeaways is Cam Carter, but then you know, he's been struggling in transition so much that they haven't been able to take advantage anyways. Yeah, K-State is uh, 211th in the country in turnover rate forced at uh, 16.7%, which DY last year they were 43rd in the country forcing turnovers on 21% of opponents' possessions. But a large part of that was Marquise just going in and digging and stripping the ball out, right? And they just... And and that's been... I think that's been part of the offensive struggles too, DY. It's just they don't force enough turnovers to be able to get out and run and get easy points in transition for the most part. Mm-hmm. They guard, but takeaways, yeah, not not their bread and butter. Yeah. So, all right. Well, that's the uh, that's a Cincinnati breakdown for you. Uh, D.Y., you got a prediction on the game? I'll probably, uh, yeah, I haven't thought a whole lot about it. I'll, I don't know score-wise. I've just had like a sneeze attack. So I'm, I saw that. Yeah, so I'm like uh, out of it at this point. I'm sweating. It's it, I've turned into a mess all of a sudden. But I, I think Kansas State does win this game and score. I, I, I haven't again, haven't gone through the weeds of the numbers to really put out anything. You know, I think Kansas State can win this. Like you said, it'll probably be, be a little bit of a meat grinder, rock bite type of game. I think Kansas State shoots just enough to win because, as I alluded to earlier in the the podcast, I think these are two teams trending in the different directions. I think Kansas State and Cincinnati have both shot poorly as a whole, probably. Uh. And as you said, today even has some better percentages in K-State, but I doubt that plays out that way if you look at maybe the last two games, last five games, even last ten games. Uh, again, two teams trending in the opposite direction. I think, I think K-State wins. I'll try to throw out a score here. 60, 65-62. Yeah, Bart Torvik has Cincinnati winning 70-65 to with K-State having a 30% chance to win. I'll flip that, and I'll take K-State 70 to 65 and this one in Cincinnati and to pick up another quad one win in K-State to end its losing streak on the road. The Wildcats have lost six in a row away from Manhattan. They could certainly use a road win. So uh, 
All right. Well, keep an eye on all the other action. At least K-State is right there um, on the bubble, and we have something to, to look forward to right now and, and watch other games and cheer against other teams. It's uh, at least a little bit of excitement for us. All right, D.Y., you have safe trip to uh, to Cincinnati. And for those of you uh, watching this, I believe this episode will probably come out you know, sometime Thursday. We are going to have, hopefully, a football episode out this week as well before end of the week with a special guest. So be on the lookout for that on the KCSN feed as well. And uh, we appreciate all of you for listening to 3 Mom And uh, go support our friends and sponsors at Holiday Distillery and Homefield Apparel. Go to homefieldapparel.com and check them out. So... Appreciate you all. Thank you for listening to another episode of Three Ball. Thank you for listening to KC Sports Network. We appreciate your support. Don't forget to hit that follow button and leave us a review if you like what you heard. You can find all six of our channels covering the Chiefs, Royals, Sporting KC, and the KC Current, plus KU, K-State, or Mizzou by searching KCSN wherever you listen to podcasts. We're also on YouTube. Entertain. Educate. Inform. KC Sports Network.